I've had some individuals come up um, and pray just before I speak. All of the people I ask, I believe, are people that have learned a prayer. You might no- pray. You might notice they're a little older generally because life teaches you to pray and uh, to trust God. And so I asked Bruce if he would come because his prayers are always sincere and from the heart. And uh, so, Bruce, would you lead us in prayer today? Okay, Father, we just uh, want to thank you for another opportunity that we have to worship you today, another opportunity to hear from your word today. I just want to thank you for who you are. Mark mentioned about how much you love us, and so we just, I want to thank you for your love for us. I thank you that you are the source of joy. I thank you that you're the source of peace, that we can bring our struggles to you, and when we do, you give us peace, peace that passes understanding. Thank you for your patience with us. Thank you for your gentleness, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness, and thank you, God, that you are trustworthy. We can trust you, and you can lead our paths. And so today, I want to I pray for Ed. I want to pray specifically for him as he brings forth your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak through him. I pray that he would remember the things that he has, has thought about over the weeks and the weeks that come up to this sermon, that you would help him to remember all the things that he needs to remember, but specifically that your spirit would speak to him. I pray against any spirit of disruption or distraction or any evil spirit that could cause this time to be distracted. And I pray against that. I pray that in Jesus' name to be cast out and be casted out right now. I pray for those who, of us who might be broken in life's journey right now, might be struggling. I just, I just pray, God, that you would um, give them peace. I pray, Father, that you'd give those people who are in that situation, that they would bring their struggles and bring their cares to you and bring their brokenness to you and that you would give them a sense of your peace. And I pray that you would just encourage them today. I pray specifically that you would help your Holy Spirit to encourage them and lift them up. And we're talking about the the topic of parenting, Father. And some of us, that's that's an interesting topic. And so, you know, Ed challenged us last week to be parents who have a calling and who have been, who would um, strive to teach our children about Jesus and how to love him. And there's some of us in the room that that's what we have tried to do. And we have, that was our goal when our kids were growing up. And some of us, me included, have children who have decided not to follow that path right now. And some of us can be a little discouraged about that, feeling a little guilty, feeling having regrets that we didn't do the right thing. So God, I just pray for us those of us who have children who are not following you right now, who are brought up to love Jesus, but have decided not to follow him at this point. I pray, God, for those children specifically. I pray that you would work in their hearts, that you would draw them to Jesus, that you would bring people into their lives that would influence them for Jesus, that you would help us as parents to still have opportunity to speak into their lives. And and about that, that gives us that, what you've spoken to me this week, at least, Lord, is 
the fact that we are still parents. We're parents to the day we die. And I was thinking, maybe we're parents after that. I don't even know. But until we know, we know that we need to, we need to continue to pray for them. We need to continue to influence their lives. So I just pray for those of us who have children like that. You would help us to be persistent, not give up, and just keep praying that God will draw these adult children to Jesus. And I pray, Father, that as parents, you'd give us wisdom. Continue to give us wisdom at all stages of our parenting. Whether it's you're just starting out, or you've got teenagers, or you've got 20-year-olds, or you've got adult children, I just pray that you will continue to give us wisdom to do the right thing and say the right thing and have the right influence. And I just pray a blessing over this service. I pray a blessing over what Ed is about to, to say to us. And I pray that you would be pleased in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, interesting what Bruce prayed in his prayer that uh, last week, he was telling me last week, he felt a little discouraged, he felt discouraged, not a little, discouraged, because as I was talking about parenting, he was thinking about uh, some of his children who aren't, he parented, but, and tried to lead them to Christ, but they're not following Christ, and so felt discouraged by that. And I thought it's important for me just to stop and, and say what I intended to say last week, but forgot. Like, you know, you tend to say things and make sure you say them in your sermon. Of course, if you've never preached before, you, you don't realize this. But you don't remember to say everything you wanted to say when you're preaching. And one of the things was I wanted to say, by the way, uh, you can't make your kids follow Jesus. In fact, that's why the principle last week was we are called, it's a calling from God to be a parent, and because it's a calling, our greatest priority as a parent is to help our children make Jesus the greatest priority of their life. And I use the word help on purpose because we can't make our children follow Jesus. You can't make them follow you. Your, your children are too much like you. They have free will and they exercise it as they deem best. And so we can't make our children. We can only influence our children to follow Jesus. But the first principle is that we are called to make it a priority to help our children make Jesus a priority in their lives. That's what parenting is, especially as a Christian. But there's other principles. And by the way, these principles don't apply just to those of you with children in the home. In fact, all four of these principles I'm going to talk about, I think as I'm parenting 30 and 20-year-olds, I'm finding that parenting is a new challenge, and I'm still a parent, but I still have to challenge them, and that prayer is the greatest tool in my tool chest of parenting that I have. I'm realizing it more and more as I grow older and older that God works when we pray. He, God changes things when we pray, and he changes us when we pray and sometimes changing us is the key to changing our kids and by the way your uh, your parenting is not done yet 
If you're still here, you're still parenting, and as Bruce referred to in his uh, prayer, even when you die, your kid parenting hasn't ended because your kids are probably still here, and God is still answering prayers you prayed 40 years ago for your kid. He's still working in their lives. It's just he works at a different pace than we like. In fact, I have found that my dad's influence in my life is greater since he died. Maybe some of you need to die. <laughs> I say in half jest. <laughs> Maybe it is our funeral that will be the point that really begins to change our children. So we're not done. Just because your kids are out of the home doesn't mean you are done parenting. Now, that leads to the second thing I want to say, the second principle. In one word, it's called modeling. But in a phrase, it's usually, now I choose that word carefully, usually they do what we do. Usually. Not exclusively, but a lot of times. Usually, our kids will do what we do, especially as they become adults. Usually, they do what we do. Deuteronomy chapter 6, going back to this passage, it's a seminal passage on family uh, in the Bible. I think it's as applicable to us as it is to the people who was written to Israel. Hear, O Israel, Moses writes, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all. Now he's starting a parenting discussion. And he starts with this. You love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You've heard that before because Jesus quotes it as the first and greatest commandment. And Moses writes it as the introduction to how to do family. You parent, you start your family with loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Put him first in your life is another way to say that. And these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. They're not just to be on your tongue, not just to be in your head. They're not to be spewed out as tools to get the kids to do what you want them to do. They're to be here where you have agonized over them, where you have wrestled with them, where you have decided from your heart, this is how I'm going to live. That's what he means by all that. Be sure they're on your hearts. Then, when you have chosen to follow God, well then, just impress them on your children. Just give them to your children. What comes Now, he, the way he terms this shows us how God designed the family. You're going to impress them on your children because you're going to talk about them when you sit at home or when you walk along the road or you're driving to hockey or you're taking your kid to dance, when you're going to bed at night, when you get up in the morning, when you go to work, when you're doing chores on Saturday, when you're taking them to the church. You put them right as symbols on your hands. You know, you always see your hands. Imagine something tied to your hands. It's a metaphor. They, they, some Jews did 
it, but it's a metaphor to say wherever you are, they're there right in front. Bind them right here on your forehead so you will not forget them. They'll be emblazoned in your thinking. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Every time you go in and out, see them, talk about them. In other words, let your life show, talk about, be about God. Anywhere, everywhere. Because the way that God has designed the family is that our children observe everything. And from that, they pick and choose what they're going to implement. And usually, not always, usually, they do what we do. And by that I mean, there is no greater influence in the life of your child than you as a parent, mom or dad. No greater influence. Now, Bob Keeshan wrote this. Parents are the ultimate role models for children. Every word, every movement, every action has an effect. No other person, no outside force has greater influence on a child than a parent. No friend, no coach, no teacher, no one has the impact on your child like you do. Whether they're 3, 13, 23, or 53, you have impact, the greatest influence on your children. Now, again, you can't force them to do, to choose what you want them to do, but you can be an influence, and that's what God designed the family for, for you by your life to influence. Now, Bob Keeshan is not, as far as I know, is not a Christian. Maybe he was, but he is highly recognized in the realm of children's uh, work and children's study. Listen to some of the things that he said. I, I don't know if any of you know Bob Keeshan. I've ever heard his name before. But here are some of the awards that he has won. The Iris Award for Man of the Year from the National Association of Television Pro, uh, Program Execs. Man of the Year. He has honorary degrees. His work was so impactful that he has an honorary doctorate of humane letters from Alfred University, honorary doctorate of pedagogy, study or the, the understanding of children from Rhode Island College, honorary doctorate from Dartmouth College, honorary doctorate from the Huma of humane letters from Fordham University, honorary doctorate of literature, Indiana State University, honorary doctorate of law from Elmira uh, College, honorary doctorate, doctorate of laws from Marquette, honorary doctorate of humane letters from Lemoyne College, honorary doctorate of professional studies, Central Michigan, honorary doctorate, College of New Rochelle, honorary doctorate of humane letters, St. Joseph College, honorary doctorate of, uh, uh, from Middlebury College for his work in children's literacy, honorary fellow of the American Academy of Pediatrics, <gasps> five Emmy Awards, 
three Peabody Awards, National Education Award, Distinguished Service Award, American Medical Association gave him, and National Association of Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Any one of those is a Lifetime Achievement Award. I just ripped off 19 Lifetime Achievements for Bob Keeson. That is how respected, and that is how wise, and that is how much he understood how to care for children, Bob Keeson. But you don't know his name because of these. You likely know him or have heard of him as the host of the longest-running children's TV show in history of television, Captain Kangaroo. See, the name kind of makes him sound like a because he played a clown. That man knew more about children than probably 99.9% of the people on this planet. And he says, what Deuteronomy said several thousand years ago, no one has more influence on your children than you as a parent. Imagine that. Because as you live your life, they're absorbing everything they see. Even when they're not in the home. How you handle money. Your attitudes toward it. How you handle conflict. What your roles are in your family. How a mom is supposed to act. How a dad is supposed to act. How you deal with opposition. Discouragement. Frustration. Anger, how you show love, the things you say are wrong, the things you say are right. They're absorbing it for 20-some years, for most of them in your family, watching it. And usually, they do what we do. This is why the proverb says, Train up a child in the way they will go and they will not depart for it. I, I, don't, I, I think we misunderstood. This is not a promise. It's a proverb. It's a generalization of what life is like. And a better way, I think, to translate it is train up a child in the way they should go and they won't be able to get away from it. When they're 85, they'll still remember what they learned when they were five years old in their house. They may not choose to follow it, but they can't get away from it. Because you, mom, you, dad, are the greatest influence in the life of your... Is that not encouraging? Well, it could be discouraging, as Bruce said, because, whew, you mean I'm to blame for all these things that are wrong with my kid's life? Well, as much as your parents are to blame for all the bad decisions you made. We are not raising robots. We are raising human beings who must choose for themselves the paths that they will take. Our job is not to control those paths, but to prepare and equip them for those paths and to influence them. And that's how God designed the family. You're influencing your children, whether you realize or not. I, I, I'll bet you I've done, oh, I gotta say it's probably more than 100 premarital counseling uh, time, gigs where people want to get married, so they come to me and they do premarital counseling. So when I was younger, I used to flood them. They were reading books and, you know, listening to basically sermons that I gave them. And, and I, I, I figured if I gave them enough information, it would prepare them. But over time, I realized 
My efforts weren't making one single dent of impact on these people. They would parent, they would do marriage the way they were going to do marriage, no matter what I said in the pre-council. So I shifted it all. And the first thing I say to a couple when they come to me, because they're always so in love, like, oh, oh we're going to have the perfect marriage. He's so great. She's so great. And, and I know people have struggled in marriages, but not us. We're different. I'm like, yeah, you're a lot different than you think you are. <laughs> and I, my first thing I say to them is, you already know how to do marriage. You already know. You have spent 20 plus years observing your parents living in that home. You already know how to do Christmas, how to do birthdays. What food is the best food? How a mom should act, how a dad should act. What do you do with money? How do you treat it? What are your attitudes toward it? How do you handle conflict? How do you communicate? What is your view on work and the work ethic that you have? What's the value of another person to you? What does love look like and mean? All of that. You have learned all of that. You have learned how to put the toilet paper roll right on the toilet paper dispenser. You've learned it all from the little to the great things because you were observing your parents. You were living in the midst of a marriage and it was performed for you and you have been indoctrinated for 20 plus years on how to do marriage. You just don't know it yet. Because the greatest influence in your life for how to do marriage was the marriage you saw being rolled out and played out in front of you. Now, <laughs> we all hope our kids do better than us. But it's amazing how much like us they are. Because usually, not always, usually they do what we do. It's just the way it works. Now, that's why Ephesians uh, chapter 6 is so important for what we are talking about, about modeling and how we impact our kids. Paul writes, fathers, now I find it interesting he designates fathers here. I think because it's the responsibility of the father for the home. Scripture has identified the father as the head in his home. And therefore, with that comes a few responsibilities. One is to sacrifice himself. So when, I, when Scripture says somebody's the head of something, we look at Christ as the example, not the world. And Jesus had to teach his disciples that. They all wanted to be the head of this new thing Jesus was setting up. And Jesus said, you don't get it. If you're going to be the head, that means you've got to sacrifice yourself. Now watch what I do. So Jesus, we sang about it. Jesus, the king of all glory, comes to earth, humbles himself, and willingly takes on death to pay for our sins, to sacrifice himself to pay for our sins so that we can be reconciled through God through forgiveness of sins. And by the way, each one of you, whether you're a child or whether you're an older adult or somewhere in between, you must choose whether or not you're going to put your faith in Jesus. That's the central message of the scriptures. 
God rescues us from our sin and offers to us eternal life through the death and resurrection of Jesus. But you must choose whether you are going to uh, repent from your sins, turn to Christ, and put your faith in him to reconcile you to God. And the model of leadership he shows is the leader, the head, sacrifices out of love for those he or she leads. The second thing this verse tells us is that the head of the home is responsible for the training and discipline. They don't do it all, but when God looks at your family, he first looks at you, Dad, to say, what is happening in your home? Is there discipline? Is there training? Is there love? Is there sacrifice? What is happening? What's the spiritual tone of your home? Dads, you're the ones that God looks to. I've never, ever, ever come across a woman who was frustrated with her husband for leading in the home. Every woman, oh, okay, there's the odd ones that don't want this. Most women in, that I have ever heard or read about or watched, other than on Oprah, <laughs> long for their husbands to lead in their homes, to sacrifice themselves, and to set the tone for the spiritual nature of their home. Fathers. Now, this principle is true of you too, moms. But it's specifically directed, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I read this verse for decades. I never really understood what exasperate meant. Do not exasperate your children, but rather bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So Paul wrote the new, his part of the New, well, all the New Testament was written in Greek. And the word do not exasperate is paragizmo, which means basically don't provoke somebody to anger. Don't keep poking away at them until finally they go, ah! don't do that. But I couldn't make the translation into the family on that one, um, except my dad. <laughs> So, like your house, probably, if you had suppers together as a family, you all had your own chair, yeah? Many of you, you had your place around the table. So there were six of us, mom and dad and four kids. My dad sat at one end of the table, my mom sat here. Why did she sit there? It was the seat closest to the kitchen. My sister right under me sat here, my oldest sister sat there, I sat here, the youngest sister sat here right beside my dad. Every single night, every night, Mom, we would eat, and there was always dessert, and my mom would bring over tea for my dad, and he'd doctor up his tea with a little milk, a little sugar. He'd take his teaspoon, he'd stir the tea, and he'd go ding, 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 and then put the hot spoon on my little sister's hand. Now, it never burned her or anything. It was just a little hot. And she'd go, ah! Every night, all five of us were just waiting for it. We had the ding, 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 ding. And the only one that never clued in was my little sister who was right beside him. We laughed and laughed. And I can't remember why I told this story. <laughs> Don't exasperate. Oh, yeah, that's it. She, when, when the, and finally, you know, when the spoon hit her hand, she'd be like, will you stop that? Like, that was that. Don't, it's, don't provoke that. 
Now, the rest of us loved it that he provoked that. Don't do that. What does it mean? How do you provoke? So I followed this word. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew and Aramaic, but it was translated into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. It is one of the best documents of the Old Testament for study. Any Bible of its worth refers and, and translates from the Septuagint. It's an absolutely incredible tool. I think a couple hundred years before Christ, it was translated. So it's ancient. The Greek translation of Deuteronomy 32, 14 is, God is speaking, he says, they, meaning his people Israel, made me jealous by what is no God and angered me with their worthless idols. So jealousy has changed in its meaning. It's a petty word today. But in its original term, it meant how one would feel when something sacred or committed to them was given or used by one who doesn't deserve it or should not have it. In other words, let me give you an illustration. If a wife is unfaithful to her husband, do you find it odd that the husband would be jealous that his wife was giving to another man what only belonged to him and what she committed to him? Well, no, that's what true jealousy is. It is a righteous thing. It's not a petty thing. We've changed that word, the meaning of the word, but that's what it meant is to have indignation over something sacred that is given to the dogs. And that's how that term is used here when it says, uh, they made me, God said, they made me jealous by what is no God because they had covenanted and promised that they would worship only God. And they, they had made a covenant with God just like you make a covenant with a spouse and they were committed to it until of course they weren't and they started to worship other gods and God was like, you are taking what is sacred and reserved for me and giving it to the dogs. Then he says, and angered me and paragizmoed me with their idols. They provoked me to anger because you were doing something that was wrong and that was unfaithful and something you knew you should not be doing and yet you kept doing it and you provoked me into righteous anger against you. Now, Go back to Ephesians. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Do not provoke them. You are called to be a parent. You chose, by the way, to be a parent. Let me just stop here. This is one of the reasons. I'm kind of going off a caveat right now, so just leave the sermon there for a second. I'll pick it back up. I want to talk to you about abortion. Understand the brokenness of our society that women are being convinced or pressured to have abortions because it's their body. Some of you believe that. But think it through. Think it through. You know that if you, en you engage in sexual activity, 
A possible outcome of it is pregnancy. Nobody is surprised by that. They might be surprised they're pregnant, but they're not surprised at how they got pregnant. And so to fix my indiscretion or my mistake or this happenstance, I will choose to kill a baby. No, but it's not a baby. Really? Says who? When exactly? Why is it that when it comes out the womb, it's a baby, but it isn't? Well, no, 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 it's considered a baby a few weeks before birth. Well, just how far do you go back until it's not a baby? Because if you let it go, it always becomes a baby. So do you see the line that our society is being filled with? It's better for you to live your life the way you want and kill a baby than it is to take responsibility for your actions. The Enlightenment turned us away from God into self and made ourselves the center of attention. And this is the result of it. Now, I understand there are people that totally disagree with that assessment. But I'm not really worried about those people. I'm worried about those of you that have been tricked or lied to or forced to have an abortion and you suffer under the guilt. And not only does the scripture say that it is wrong, but the scripture says there's healing and forgiveness in Christ. And you don't need to carry that. Even if you chose knowing what you were doing. And now you feel a sense of weight and guilt. The sacrifice of Jesus is able to cleanse you and bring forgiveness and bring new life in Christ. It doesn't matter that you made a mistake. We all have sinned. We all made mistakes before God. We've all sinned. We're all broken. It doesn't matter the sin. You can find forgiveness and healing in Christ. We'd be happy to help you with that. You, know, you don't need to carry that heavy weight in your life anymore. Jesus says, bring it to me and put it at the cross and walk away free. Yes, it may be true in your life. And yes, there'll be a journey of overcoming the pain that, that was done. But with Christ, you can be healed. Back to the sermon. You chose to be a parent. But God calls you to be a parent. And so, step up. See, kids need certain things in order to thrive. And if you want them to thrive as a Christian, they need certain things. And above all, do you know what they need? You to live it. We're back at Deuteronomy again. Don't take your kids to church and tell them you need to listen to that stuff when you don't. You're provoking them to anger. Don't tell your kids they're wrong over something you yourself do. Don't expect them to live a right life when you don't ex uh, model one for them in the home. Don't make demands on them to be something, to be uh, the best hockey player, the best dancer, the best student, the best musician, the best daughter, the best son, when you do nothing to help them get there. Other than pressure them. 
you are you're poking, 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 and exasperating, and they're just going to blow. Now, I learned this lesson. One of the mistakes, I made many mistakes as a parent, but the one, one of them I, I, I feel like, oh, I hate that I did this. So Crystal and I were young parents. Uh, our oldest was four years old, and we were trying to figure out this parenting thing. And so we were talking with other parents, and, and uh, one, some parent, I, like if I ever remember who, well, I can't remember who it was, they gave us this book, Shepherding Your Child's Heart. Doesn't that sound like a great good? Because raising kids is about helping them form their hearts toward God and others, to love God and others. That's what it's really about, their hearts, not their actions. It's about their heart, because out of the heart comes life, comes their words, comes their decisions comes their actions that so you you train a heart but how do you train a heart and wow this book shepherding your child's heart well, that sounded so good and it, I, I, I tell you if I f remember who did it I'm gonna punch them right in the nose when I see them because basically this book that sounded so good in the cover as we read it basically said because actions come from the heart anytime your child does anything wrong be it little or be it big you need to respond with discipline Right away. So I was less than wise and thought, makes sense. So we decided one Monday, I had Monday off, we decided we were going to implement the shepherding your child's heart. My poor kid. Anything he did wrong, any little thing, any big thing, we were on him like stink to manure. Like we were right there. And we, did, we had some kind of discipline. Every time he spoke with the wrong attitude or, or knocked something over or, or, or did, acted straight. And, and so by lunchtime, we had disciplined him maybe five or six times. And in that short period of time, I could see that he was retreating into fear and insecurity because he didn't know what was right and what was wrong. And I figured in about 10 years, if I keep shepherding my child's heart like this, he'll be an ax murderer. <laughs> it was inane. Jumping all over every accident, every misbehavior, getting on it is not true parenting. Living for Jesus and showing his life is the most important principle. You living for Jesus is the most important principle to influence your child. A lot of the stuff a four-year-old does is forgotten in minutes. And I discovered, so that sent Crystal and I, we're like, we threw the book in the garbage. You can tell I have a love for that book and author, can't you? It really shaped my life. It really did. Because I've said, this is not the right way. Now, we knew discipline was important because the scripture says, forget to discipline your child and you hate them. That's how important discipline is. A loving parent disciplines their child, is what scripture says. But not like that. So I sent Crystal and I on a 
course of discovery, we began to pray. Again, prayer, biggest tool a parent has. How many times I'm going to say it, but I'll keep saying it because praying for your children invites God into your thinking and their lives, and things change. So we prayed, and we sought out books. We read books. We sought parents out that had done it, and we came. We listened to sermons, and we came to a, a decision that there will be three things that we discipline our kids for. That's it, three things. The rest will show Kindness, patience, a lot of laughter. But when these three things happen, discipline will follow. Made it simple. You know what those three things were? Well, come next week because it's a whole sermon. It's a whole sermon. You got to come next week. You want to know what those three things are. Let's get back to the one for today. Usually they do what we do. So here's what this, all these passages are saying. You want to influence your child for Jesus? Then you love Jesus. God set up the whole family thing that it follows you. You live an inauthentic life? Don't be shocked your kids are inauthentic. You don't care about spiritual things? Duh! You think your kids will? Now, there are exceptions. There are those kids that grew up in the worst homes and become fiery examples for Jesus. Some of you are sitting here. And there are kids that grew up in the best of homes that said, yeah, I'm turning my back on it all. But I remember, I say, it ain't over until they're over, right? Legion are the number of people in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s who have turned back to God because train up a child in the way they should go and they can't forget it. And God keeps working and working. He's faithful. Your job is not to make your child do anything. Your job is to live for Jesus and influence your child in your home. Because if you just focus on living a godly life, it will impact your children and more than any other person, any other thing, says Bob Keeshan, because that's the way God designed it. So, easy peasy. Be godly. I say with sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> the battle with your children is not with them. It's with this. Because usually, they do what we do. You love God. At least they know how to love God. And I think God never stops working on them till the day they leave this earth. He is faithful. Let's pray. Father, today, as Bruce prayed, uh, some of your children here are struggling with guilt because they've tried to be great parents, but there's mistakes and there's children that have walked away from you. And I pray over these people that your spirit will lift them up and strengthen them to be men and women of prayer who, do, who are on their knees calling out for their kids daily and that throughout the years you will be working in their children's heart and you will bring them to repentance and back to you. Manasseh, king of Judah, 
for 52 years was the wickedest king ever and at the end of his life repented and turned back to you and struck down the altars that he had himself raised. Some of us have Manassas in our families and we need God, you, to bring your conviction. May we live to see it, but if we don't live to see it, may they live to see it. Because first and foremost, they're your people, your children, not ours. They've been loaned to us. And so I pray for those that are struggling to love you because if you're not loving you, forget teaching your kids to love you. They're watching when the doors are closed and nobody else can see, they see, they hear. And so would you move us to say, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be more excited about Jesus. I want to be more in love with Jesus. I want to just repent and turn and clean areas of my life, if for nothing else, for the sake of my kids and the glory of Jesus. Pray you lift up and encourage those many here are living lives of godliness. Lord, when I examine my life, I see so many areas that are faulty, but... But I remember 1 Corinthians 4, that where Paul said, I don't even judge myself. My conscience may be clear, that that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me, so help us to trust you with our brokenness, our failures, the areas of struggle, to be honest and authentic about them, to share what we can with our children, and to be true to you. And so now, God, I pray you'd resurrect in us a passion and desire to parent well, whether our kids are in the home or they're not, to keep that mantle of responsibility and to watch you do amazing things as we call on you. In your name I pray. Amen.